This podcast is brought to you in part by Specialties. Are you in a band that wants merch, but you're not sure where to go? Are you looking for great quality and affordable pricing? Do you have a design that you'd like to put on a koozie for your favorite consumable beverage? How about office swag for your job or giveaway items for your events? Okay, you get the point. Look no further than special tees for all of your heart's printing desires. This is not my magnum opus listeners can act now and get 10% off your first order if you tell them could be better sent you. Visit their website at www.special-tees.com or use the link in the show notes to get the conversation started. You can even call ahead and visit their showroom to see the types of products they offer. Again, telling them could be better sent you via email, phone call, or carrier pigeon will get you that 10% off your first order. That's special-tees.com. Special Tees. If you haven't worked with them, they want to work with you. This is Not My Magnum Opus is proud to be a part of the Could Be Better podcast network. We're passionate about creating and using these platforms to dive into topics such as exploring lo-fi, impulsive, small, and otherwise overlooked artworks and creative practices, what happened in the world this week and how to laugh through or at it, and hearing stories from musicians from all walks of life. Check out these podcasts, Could Be Better, This Is Not My Magnum Opus, and The Weekly with Kiki, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can visit couldbebettermeh.com slash podcasts in the show notes to see the current shows on the Could Be Better podcast network. Come join us as we discover more about ourselves, the community around us, and maybe even something worth sharing. Or not. Now, here's our show. Hello, and welcome to This Is Not My Magnum Opus, a podcast about small and lo-fi artworks, creative practice, and what it means to be an artist. I'm your host, Nicole Ringle, and I'm here with my partner and producer, Spencer Newcomb. Hello, Nicole. (laughs) (laughs) Hi there, and oh my God, we're we're doing doing it. it. (laughs) It's our first episode. First episode. And for this first round of artists that we've been interviewing, uh, we've really kind of focused in on the creative communities that we've been a part of. Mm -hmm. So uh, our first guest is SJ Burkowski. And they've actually been a longtime friend of mine, collaborator and kind of partner in crime, artistically speaking, (laughs) for the last... um, you know, 20 years. Yeah, I'm excited that we started with SJ uh, because, yeah, they're just a very kind-hearted, very warm human. Uh, and getting to know them over the past few years uh, has been a real treat. Yeah, and I would even say the warmth that they kind of embody mm-hmm. trickles out through the different um, materials and art forms that they experiment with. So, uh you know, their background really primarily was in drawing and painting. Um, we grew up, you know, in um, middle school and high school taking art classes together. And that was kind of the core of their practice. Um, and then, you know, they went on to uh, get their uh, their bachelor's degree in uh, graphic design with a real focus on illustration. And since graduating, they've, um, you know, established a really robust uh, career as a freelance graphic designer. Um, They've also had forays into uh, uh, floral work and, um, you know, they're an urban farmer. Uh, They uh, recently started experimenting with uh, poured resin sculptures. Mm -hmm. 
and so, you know, they're a person who really uh, explores making in so many different forms. Yeah, SJ is one of those friends who it seems like they have no limit to their capacity. They just do a lot and they do it all really well and just with uh, a wonderful attitude. So it was it was fun to hear SJ dive into their not magnum opus of bolos. Yeah, so in this conversation, they shared their practice of making... Um, I'd actually never heard of bolos before really? they started this practice. Um, but yeah, a bolo is a kind of Southwestern style... Uh, tie. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of what drew them to this practice of making bolos uh, was this idea that, you know, it's a tie and it's traditionally tied to this kind of like masculine uh, energy. Right. Um, but it also kind of resembles a necklace. Right. And so they call it kind of the ultimate gender neutral accessory. Yeah. It was cool to hear their explanation of like why, why bolos and like how they came to that idea. Uh, and certainly, yeah, I grew up a little bit further in the South than we are now. We're currently in Maryland. Um, but I can absolutely remember, you know, elder gentlemen in my church growing up wearing bolos, um, and their cowboy boots and their hats. Uh, <laughs> and I even had a, I had a bolo as a kid. Um, and it was similar. I, it wasn't like, uh, so we'll have, you know, a visual on the Instagram of the bolos that SJ is is creating uh and their poured resin uh the one that i had as a kid was kind of similar i don't know if it was resin but the you know the center emblem uh had a scorpion in it it was kind of wild oh my god was it like a real scorpion it was a, a, a real scorpion yeah wow and like encased in plastic encased i guess it was plastic or something like that but yeah uh it was it was fun to hear them talk about bolos in a different way than i came up knowing about them because mm -hmm. they certainly did have that cowboy aesthetic, you know, that, like that really rough-hewn man energy. Mm -hmm. um, but their bolos are like completely otherworldly, right? Right. They have this really interesting combination of like glitter, vibrant pigments, mm -hmm. moss, dirt, like all kind of strewn together yeah. in this material. They really do like resemble almost like a, a miniature galaxy in some, you know, in some forms. Um, yeah, really, really cool, really pretty. Yeah. So in our conversation, they told us all about their practice of making bolos, how they go about uh, gathering the materials um, that they put together in each tie. For them, it really is about kind of making an object to, uh, you know, they sell these objects, but uh, it really is like a gift of a special collection of things that, you know, is an action of adornment for someone else. So, you know, hearing and listening to uh, the way that they think about connection and kind of creating worlds that are shared between multiple people um, is a through line in their creative practice that spans beyond the bolo. Yeah, and we start the interview kind of discussing the origins of their creativity. That'll probably be a through line for us um, as like a starting point. And I just have to say that's been like the funnest part of mm. this for me uh, so far in having these conversations is that you know, everybody has a kind of origin story and, you know, the way that we tell our origin story is usually informed by 
our trajectory, right? And so, you know, each artist kind of shares something that ultimately ends up like nine times out of 10 being a through line with what they do now. And it's just really interesting to kind of like uncover that because it kind of sheds a different light on, you know, their motivations of like why, why they make. Right. Yeah. And I think uh, for, for this interview with SJ, something that like I thought was really nice later on in the interview is like them circling back to how strongly they feel about coming into Uh, a creative space, extremely Mm -hmm. open-minded. Yeah. They talk about like the beginner's mindset. Yes. Yeah. The beginner's mindset where you can experience being creative without knowing where any of it's going and Mm -hmm. being very comfortable uh, in that space. Like that's, that's huge. I don't know if, uh, if I can say I'm that good at, you know, existing in, you know, the beginnings of, of, you know, a creative idea and I feel comfortable about like how open-ended it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they really uh, seem to enjoy inhabiting that space. Mm-hmm. And I think it all comes back to practice and paying attention to, mm-hmm. right? And that being kind of the process by which a craft is perfected, mm-hmm. right? Like doing a thing and paying attention to the things that work and what doesn't and like how the thing feels as you're making it and like the kind of nuances that unfold in that process. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because Bolo's, uh, I believe they talked about like, it wasn't like a fully thought out idea to begin with. It just kind of, you know, evolved over time and became this, this really cool practice. Mm-hmm. You want to get, you want to go ahead and get into it? Yeah. I think we're just about ready to get into it. Um, just to note, if you want to take a look at some of the Bolo's that, uh, that we were going to talk about in this episode, you can check out, this is not my magnum opus. Uh, on Instagram at this is not my magnum opus. Um, we posted a couple of pictures of the bolo making practice of SJs and also linked to their um, bolos and baskets BB. Uh, bolos ins- and baskets BB. Uh, Instagram. Uh, so if you wanted to take a look at their whole uh, practice, uh, you can feel free to check that out. Sorry, I interrupted your flow there. Hello. Hi. Hi, SJ. Thank you so much um, for making the time um, to talk with me today. Um, we're joined in studio by my dog, Mo. We love. So if you hear him panting in the background, we're joined by um, a nice little furry friend today. He might um, sing us a little song if we're yes. lucky. Or he might yell at us. You <laughs> never know. Cool. Well, um, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Um We've been friends for like 25 years. Yeah. No, not quite that long, like 20-ish years. How Um, old are we? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, 20-ish years sounds right. Yes. Um, From the the Polly Pocket days. (laughs) Yes. Um, So it's a true joy to be able to talk to you about um, your creative practice that I know like has gone through many different iterations uh, over the course of our friendship and over the course of our lives. Um, And so to kind of get us started and to kind of ground us, I was uh, hoping that you might give us kind of a picture into um, the origins of your creativity and kind of your first inclinations of feeling like an artist um, and kind of like how that resonated for you uh throughout your life yeah I um 
I'm going to start by taking a second to feel into the bottom of my feet and we'll invite you to do the same if that feels good for you. We're going to take a nice juicy breath. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because whenever people have asked me about like when I knew I wanted to be an artist or if I had always felt that way, I always think about how my parents had always said, like, you've just always loved to draw. And like, I feel like one of my earliest visual memories is like, I drew a little raindrop person and like, (laughs) it's just like kind of burned in my brain. But um, I don't know, that doesn't feel like very satisfying as an origin story, right? Like, okay, so you've just always done it. All right, whatever. But like having that impulse towards creativity, I feel like was a way that I could kind of connect with people, especially like in school, I would like use drawing as a game to like build worlds with friends. And I remember I had a very elaborate um, hamster theme park that I drew with a friend in third grade. Mm-hmm. Um, it just like felt like a way to connect to other people and like be able to sort of like externalize this like inner world that felt very alive in me and that I feel like is even more rich when you're sharing and collaborating with other people in their inner worlds. Mm-hmm. And so kind of like bringing it back to like my earliest memories of creativity and like being an artist, like I feel like there's sort of like this, uh, there's this like split that happens when you enter into like the school system and art becomes like a commodity and like something Mm -hmm. that you like can be good or bad at. And it like creates this like weird division in a lot of people's brains where they're like either like, okay, this is something that people are affirming that I can do and I'm good at this. Mm -hmm. Or like, this is something that feels hard for me and people don't like when I draw. So like, and it's, it's not encouraged early. Yeah. I remember like feeling that way in middle school, Mm -hmm. like, Oh, has like enough people told me that my drawings look good that I can take art again next year, you know, which is like such a messed up way of like thinking about art making, but it's super, you know, ingrained from an early age. Yeah. And I think too, that's why a lot of people as adults don't like to consider themselves artists or like to devote time to making art or being a creative person because like it wasn't encouraged and like nurtured as they were like growing up. And so I feel like when art started to become more of like a thing that I had to like follow a set of rules and like learn how to do like creativity kind of pivoted into something that felt like it had a lot more like rigidity to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I feel like kind of breaking away or like breaking apart that framework and sort of like returning to art practice for like 
the joy of making and like feeling like deeply creative has been like really liberatory for me as an adult because it feels like it connects me back to that first sense of being in my creative body and like collaborating with friends and like Mm -hmm. making worlds together. Yes. Um, So that was kind of a little bit more than what you asked for, but no, I love (laughs) it. You gave us a whole kind of story to follow. There's an Um, arc that's happening. And I love that you talked about like your first drawings being um, like this way of like sharing something with someone and building a shared thing between two or more people. Cause I feel like that, um, and the kind of turning away from the kind of capital A art that's like ingrained (laughs) through academia, um, might be a perfect segue into talking about, um, what your not magnum opus, um, (laughs) practice is that you're going to share with us today. So just to kind of ground us in um, kind of the spirit of our project here in exploring what a non or not magnum opus is, right? Um, It's kind of a work that's maybe um, smaller in scope or maybe just like uh, intended for a kind of like uh, different audience or, you know, grounded in a practice rather than the kind of conventional art world notion of like what should be hanging on a gallery wall, Um, right? So I wonder um, if you could kind of introduce us with the, the project that you've brought to share today. Yeah, so today I'm going to be talking more specifically about my project that is called Bolos and Baskets, Baby. And I would like to clarify that it is Bolos and Baskets, comma, baby, as opposed to a baby with Bolos and Baskets. (laughs) It's like an affirmative baby. Like it's a Mm -hmm. baby with an exclamation point. So uh, yeah, the (laughs) no babies involved. No, no babies were involved in the making of these Bolos or Baskets, but uh, yeah, the, the handle is shortened to B and B B B. So I often will refer to the project in that way also. Um, but it's pretty much just like the catch all that I have created to talk about, like, or to house the like crafts that I've been making lately, which primarily have been bolo ties and I make the slides out of resin Um, I have started a hand-woven basket practice in the past year, but it's been a little bit less of, like, the focus. And then the repetition of bees includes other bullshit, so it kind of is like a container for bolos, baskets, and whatever other things, like, I feel compelled to make and share. And I like having that, like, caveat for, like, you know other like little exciting moments and like inspirations to be able to like be manifested and it doesn't have to be like one specific thing even though the name is very specific I just think it's funny (laughs) yeah okay so um let's zoom in um and talk about like what is in a bolo like how do you go about making each of the bolos Mm -hmm. um so if you can visualize the classic bolo tie, there's the the piece that slides up and down on the cord. And those are the things that I'm making out of poured epoxy resin. And so for each one, I will incorporate basically the starting point is found objects that are usually 
some kind of plant material that was either gathered from the farm that I work at or on a hike or just like found around the city or something that somebody's given to me. Um, and that could be fresh or dried. I love to work with like moss and lichen and anything that has like a really cool textural effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll add in, you know, whatever other kind of like shapes and textures and colors feel right for that particular like shape that I'm creating. And I will juxtapose those things by adding glitter and like vibrant pigments and kind of like always have in mind like creating these like little ecosystems that are sort of like this very creepy but also beautiful and sort of like confusing like uh constellations of like textures and creatures and like yeah just make these little worlds I love how um like there are so many textures in any one of them that are um you know, you can recognize immediately, but the summation of all of them is otherworldly and kind Mm -hmm. of like, it feels, um, yeah, otherworldly and kind of like alien, but also familiar, Mm -hmm. um, because each individual part is identifiable, but kind of the sum of all of them together is like a interesting brand of surreal. Yeah. I feel like surreal is a good word for it. They do kind of feel like surreal landscapes. And I think that is kind of like the intention in putting together the like the natural objects and the like very heavily like manufactured kind of like um sparkly shiny throwawayable stuff Mm -hmm. um yeah it's always been interesting to me to kind of like put those two things together Mm -hmm. so um kind of embedded within that collection of objects in a singular bolo is a practice of like gathering each thing that you know eventually you pair together or combine together into each one and so I wonder um, if you can talk to us a little bit about like your practice of gathering the materials for each one and kind of the intention or like headspace behind that practice yeah I mean I feel like that's one of the best parts is like getting the the things together that I think will eventually like make their way into an adornment. And a big part of what I love about making wearables is like the kind of like emotional intimacy of that. And for me, like gathering like small things on walks or like spending time with people like out in nature it gives me like this really exciting feeling of like presence and joy to like be able to like get really small and like get really focused on like what is immediately around me and like move really slowly and it's also like a fun thing to do with other people too if I like tell them that I'm like keeping an eye out for like things to put into bolos then it becomes like a scavenger hunt game a little bit Mm -hmm. um which can be really fun but like to connect it back to like the sentimentality piece for me, like, because they're made in such small batches and they're all completely unique. Like every bolo tie that I make has like the story of the things that are in it and like how they came to me. So 
I love to kind of share from what I can remember, like where things came from and like what I was doing when I gathered them, like with the people who received the bolos. Mm. Um, and as a practice, like I love to trade them. I love to give them away. And I also do sell them at markets, but a big part of like why I've come to like this practice of like gathering and then putting them in this like specific form has been like the desire to kind of like take a little piece of myself and my experiences of like being present in the world and like share them with other people Mm -hmm. and kind of hoping that that sensation will like transfer and like be inspiring to people who wear them as well. Mm Mm-hmm. You also talked about like the, the word adornment Mm -hmm. and I know like there's so much there and like the act of, um, you know, like gathering these materials and kind of being, um, like grounded in that practice of like paying attention to the things around you to transform into a moment of adornment, um, for someone else. Like, I think that there's a lot there and I wonder if there's, um, more that you want to speak to in that process yeah I think to kind of like continue the thread of what the practice actually is for me like as I'm gathering like I like to think about protection specifically when I'm finding objects that like I want to incorporate and that is like an intention that I like to like share and cultivate when creating like wearable adornments because I do kind of feel it like in a way there is like a quality of like protective energy like when you choose to like put something on that makes you feel like empowered Mm. um and then like in terms of like why a bolo tie specifically I feel like it is like a truly queer piece of jewelry in my opinion Mm -hmm. and I think the way that I'm doing it makes it like more so just because like the bolo tie as like a an icon in in like your mind like you think of like cowboys and like have this association with like rugged masculinity and like kind of like the wild west but then when you look at like what the slides are actually containing, like you see these like really tender kind of like mysterious, partly like natural, partly unnatural, like kind of like mishmash of stuff. And I feel like that being like the thing kind of gives it like this very like queer edge that, you know, removes it from like this kind of like origin context Mm. Um, and two, like the bolo originally was like seen in like, you know, white, like Western consumer culture as being like an alternate for like a, a necktie, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so in that way it is like kind of masculine, but it also like reads similar to like a necklace, which like reads as feminine. So it feels to me like the true like gender neutral accessory mm-hmm. um, in that like it just feels like it can be like subversive and like transgress boundaries. And I just like 
love starting with that as like a base and then like playing it up by like kind of making them like weirder and freakier and And fun. Yeah. And just like something that hopefully will make people feel like special, like they're wearing a treasure, you know, Mm -hmm. I love sparkle and I love how like specifically like glitter and like neons and like really intense, like bright colors can make people feel like, yeah, just like a sense of like their, their true selves kind of like shining through a little bit. And I like really want to encourage that kind of energy by like creating something that people can wear that like brings that out. Do you feel like playing around with those like fun materials kind of like also helps you kind of appropriate the kind of like capital A art that like you (laughs) talked about in the beginning being kind of like overbearing as you like, you know, came through art in school and kind of felt the pressure of success with that. Um, But then like, I can imagine that maybe like, inventing or like creating like the perfect version or like perfect for you (laughs) like (laughs) version of this like ideal accessory being a kind of like playing around with the status quo yeah I mean I think that you kind of nailed it by using the word like playing Mm -hmm. um because I feel like bringing in the element of play is like the way that we deconstruct like the capital A art like Mm -hmm. institution. And that has always been at like the core of, of this as like a project and as like a practice has been like, I never, and like, okay, I should like preface this by saying that like, I have wasted more materials than I'm proud of because of this, but I have never like <laughs> looked up how to do anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so like that was an intention that I, that I committed to because I wanted it to truly be like a playful practice of discovering. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to like remove the pressure of feeling like, okay, there's a right way to do this and I have to do this a certain way mm-hmm. because nobody's asking me to do this at the end of the day. Like nobody came up to me and was like, Hey, we really need you to make <laughs> these bulletins, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for the sake of humanity. So like, I feel like I have the spaciousness and especially because it is decidedly not a practice that I am making profit from. Like I have a lot of spaciousness to play and like be curious about like, what if I mix these things or like, what if I try this order of like layering things that I've never done before? And it's made the sort of like progression of the pieces themselves feel like little joys every time like I notice something turning out in a way that like maybe I didn't expect but I really love how it worked Mm -hmm. um and like yeah I feel like the playfulness of just like being open to like letting the material inform like the end result rather than Mm -hmm imposing like a very rigid sort of idea of like what the thing is supposed to be like feels just like really good for my soul and like my nervous system and just like yeah it has been really helpful just in kind of giving myself a space to decompress and do something that feels like truly alive 
Mm-hmm. I love the idea that like the beginner mindset can like be a reset that like brings you back to a place of play, mm-hmm. right? That like, yeah, following a material and like trusting in yourself to discover the nuances of that material can both like ground you in your body and also like invite you to discover like a new aesthetic or a new result, right? Mm -hmm. Like, did you have like what the bolos look like in mind when you started or did you kind of happen upon like what the kind of collection of work looks like? Yeah, I, sorry, I feel like I keep starting every answer with, yeah, I, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, everyone. Um, So I didn't have like an initial vision and kind of like the, the way things unfolded was I was actually gifted a set of bolo cords and the back part of the slides that clips onto the cords and the tips And originally I had thought that I was going to make them, like make the slides out of Sculpey clay Mm because I had used that before and I had some and I kind of knew like what I could do with it, but that didn't like feel very compelling to me. Mm -hmm. And it kind of wasn't the aesthetic that I was like imagining, but I didn't really know exactly what, what it would be. So I kind of sat with the materials for a long time until my housemate and studio mate Gia started getting into epoxy resin and she kind of let me play around with it. Mm. And I, as a flower farmer, have like amassed like a ton of just like dried and fresh flowers everywhere in the house. So like I had a lot of natural material that I was like, oh, it would be really cool to see what happens if I put this in resin. And then like as soon as I saw like the right kind of like shape mold I was like oh I could attach this to a bolo and like Mm -hmm. it could just be like a perfect like sized pendant for that so then after that kind of initial reckoning I was able to sort of be like curious about like what materials I had access to and then kind of let that inform like what they might like look like overall Mm -hmm. I've noticed that with different batches that I've made they are very like seasonally dependent so Mm. um, I'll kind of have a vision of like okay I've collected a lot of little rocks because I went on a bike ride and I found this really cool pile of little rocks by the river Mm -hmm. like behind the pool in Druid Park you know Mm -hmm. Um, or like we just had to pull like this whole crop of a certain flower at the farm. So like I have a lot of like extra of these like things because we were going to compost them. So I feel like when I go into each like batch that I make, I kind of have like somewhat of a vision for like the color scheme or like the shapes that I'm working with Mm -hmm. or like the kind of general like theme of that little collection But I love that because they're such small, like, units, they kind of read as, like, little families to me almost, you Mm -hmm. know? Like, I'll make, like, one of, like, each different size and shape, and then there will just be, like, a cute little collection of friends that, like, all have, like, similar little buddies in them. (laughs) And then I sell them or give them away, and I think about, like, separating them, and I get sad. (laughs) 
I love that because that is like so connected to this idea of like how an object takes on meaning, right? Like to you, like the objects that you gather, like form a little family. And of course there's like more embedded there, but I think there's something about the act of making that kind of, um, you know, as artists, there are things that we pay attention to and therefore like become more fond of mm-hmm. because um, we have a practice of like paying attention to these things yeah. that interest us. You build like an intimacy and a familiarity by just like seeing them and like holding them and feeling that energy. Yes. And so like to my body, like I might have a certain affinity for a certain thing that I witness in the world, like a certain object And then like I have in my own practice, like the desire to like make that meaning bigger by having someone else (laughs) feel it too, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And I think like your bolo practice is such a nice like uh, example of that um, where it's like, you know, figuring out how to like adorn an object and share an object so that like the meaning that you're kind of like embodied practice can then kind of like literally like sparkle and shine (laughs) out and like reflect in other people's eyes and like, you know, resonate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely like think that a big draw for me in terms of like the sharing that goes into this practice is like seeing what resonates with people and like, I don't know. It's just like such a joy to like watch the process of somebody like pick out something that really strikes them. And -hmm. because they are all totally unique and like completely, you know, sentimental to me in certain ways, like it really feels very like cathartic and life affirming to me when somebody else feels like that spark of connection Mm -hmm. and like working with natural not objects, but, like, working with, like, more than human kin from the earth, like, moss and lichen feels like a very special and, like, sacred thing because, like, these are living beings that I'm, like, physically encasing in resin and then, like, kind of stagnating and preventing them from continuing to grow. But in doing so in this, like, very small way... And seeing, like, the resonance and the connection that it creates in other people, I'm kind of hopeful that, you know, in some small way that, like, connects people back to, like, this sense of presence with the earth. And it, like, kind of is, like, a reminder of how much joy that brings and kind of, like, keeping a little piece of of that with them mm-hmm. so that they can hopefully, like be reminded to like take their time and like seek out their relationships with these creatures and like be present in their own like happenings and day-to-day life and hopefully other people who then see them wearing these things will like also kind of be inspired to like return to a sense of presence and each of these objects are being discovered as you table with them at different like maker markets and things through mostly Baltimore city. 
Yeah, so far it's just been Baltimore markets, and I didn't even initially really intend to be tabling at all. It just kind of like worked out that way through circumstance because I have a wonderful table mate named Gia who has been making jasmineite crafts and. Yeah, it's just been kind of serendipitous that we share a studio space and are now like doing markets together. And it has been like a really wonderful way to sort of like sustain this practice in that like I can reach like a wider audience and kind of let them act as like little treasures to be stumbled upon. Mm -hmm. But the initial like kind of desire with this project was just to like have things to make to share as gifts Mm -hmm. um and I have always like kind of wanted this to be a primarily trade-based practice Mm -hmm. um so it is like really affirming when I can like trade with other vendors or if like a friend who is also a craft person like wants to trade for something that they feel excited about making it feels really good to like have something that you can give as a gift. And I feel like I meant to mention this earlier too, but like gift giving was definitely one of my earliest connections to creativity and artistic practice. Mm -hmm. Um, because even when I was getting like super entrenched in like capital A, like, uh, academic art, like I always created space for like making cards and Mm -hmm. like making small tokens of gratitude to share with people. And that has been like a through line and connector to creativity that has always felt like really important. Mm -hmm. I love moments of art that are made for like just one person, Mm -hmm. like, uh, like so like intimate, but like um, so powerful to that like person that it's like bestowed upon. Yeah. The, the process of, um, yeah, making a gift for someone is one that's like near and dear for sure. Yeah. And I mean to like also touch back on when we were talking about the practice of gathering and I, I mentioned like thinking about protection when I am like creating these objects, if I, have a certain person in mind that I'm making something for, then I can be even more specific and like intentional about kind of the energy that I am focusing on when I'm like making that thing. Mm -hmm. And I love process-based crafts that like I get to then share with people because it's like, I don't know, truly like a labor of love. It's like Mm -hmm. you, while you are doing this, this act you are also like meditating on your relationship with that person and what Mm -hmm. they mean to you and your memories together and like there's something that feels like really transformative about being able to like spend quality time with a person by making them something Mm -hmm. Um, and then like kind of the inverse the happenstance of making something you love and then making that connection when someone also loves that object that mm -hmm. you've made where like suddenly have this like common language where you're like oh like this thing is unifying us in our affection for it Yeah, it's like I made this thing that's like my baby and you love my baby and now (laughs) and now we love each other. Like how cool. (laughs) Yes. And I know like that like community building side 
of art practice is like something that you've cared about for a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, thinking about collaboration and kind of like how we can support our communities through that. Like, I think that that kind of like shines out in like a lot of different directions through kind of like if we zoom out to like a more holistic approach to your practice, like (laughs) beyond just the bolos, um, like how that resonates in your community and like how you think about that. Yeah. Wait, was that a question? Um, <laughs> almost. <Or a> <laughs> um, so I, I wonder if you could talk to us about oh, like sure. how that resonates for you. Sure. Sure. With the, with the bolo specifically, it just feels like this moment's iteration of like, yeah, a communal practice as you were kind of saying. And I mean, it's just like a medium that I get to explore after like many years of kind of devoting more of my creative energy to print and uh, specifically like zine making and doing more like contributor based projects. This is actually the first thing. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, this is actually the first thing that I've done in my adult life that is a project that is solely for me and like me making something that I just think is cool and like want to exist in the world because that's been a pretty big driving force of all of my projects has been like if it's a if it's a prompt like a call for entries for a zine like it has to be a question that I am interested in investigating because like if I don't care about it, how can I expect anybody else to care about it? Right. Mm -hmm. So like in a way, like this practice is kind of an extension of like wanting to, to investigate like a desire and a dream and like, uh, something that I think is really cool. And in the past, like that has manifested as doing contributor based zines, either about mental health or, you know, specific things relating to trauma And those were projects that you were kind of facilitating, like as the organizing force. And even some of those things are things that we've worked on together. True. (laughs) Yes. My first, my very first print press project was a collaboration between me, you and our friend Leah. Mm -hmm. And we did a couple runs of contributor based zines that was also like very, I feel like at that time it felt very important to also be creating community events around these publications and we did host a couple of workshops and like release parties where we like had people like either assemble zines or like you know share creative projects of their own and just like kind of come together in community and yeah so that has always kind of been at like the the core of like creative work for me in like a post-grad life has just been like how can I bring other people with like creative energy and things to say like together and like kind of interweave these stories into like one concise home Mm -hmm. um so after that project between the three of us kind of like dissolved and we like moved to different places and I started to sort of like organize these these projects on my own it became you know about 
whatever themes or kind of things that felt present in my life as a person doing land work and farming, mm-hmm. um, like finding ways to kind of investigate those, those questions or themes like in a community context. Mm-hmm. So I created a zine called Field Notes that was a compilation of reflections and meditations and gratitudes from all different types of people working with different like elements of land and animals and like various practices around like just tending and being with the earth and then being able to like put that together kind of like give all of these thoughts and feelings and experiences like a shared home felt like a really sort of like gratifying and profound like moment in reminding me that like we are all kind of in this like entanglement and like to be able Mm -hmm. to like see it laid out in like a physical tangible form has been like an entanglement with the earth through the land-based practices yeah with with the physical like world around us and also with each other through like our Mm. relationships to place and to more than human kin and like I don't know I feel like being able to kind of like put that like lay that all out like with all of those edges touching each other and then Mm -hmm. like doing so through like a print practice that was also like a huge learning experience for me, like Mm -hmm. working with sense of press and learning how to use the risograph printer here, like Mm -hmm. was like so deeply formative. And I think also part of what drove me to this resin practice was like being so like, Oh my God, that was such a big project (laughs) yeah so for for some context um yeah we're recording this conversation in sense of press which is um kind of a printing publishing studio um that we both collaborate on here in baltimore and um risograph printing um we probably don't want to get into the technical specifics of it right now um but it is tedious like you have to print each color in a separate pass on each piece of paper as it goes through the printer and then you have to fold each of the individual (laughs) um pieces of paper um once you're done printing them and then you gotta staple all of them and then probably trim them when you're all done so to run uh, edition of how many like 150 yeah there yeah there, it was a big edition there was a lot and they were 60 page zines and yes yeah, 60 pages is it a was lot. really silly it was a really <laughs> silly thing that I did to myself because I love to do silly things to myself so. yes um but I love that those two projects like are like foils to each other. Mm -hmm. Like they're like completely like stand opposed to each other. And like one kind of, you know, the field note scene, like totally like directly representing this desire to share like what you make with the world, Mm -hmm. Um, like tying it back to like your first impulses of creativity, right? Like this desire to like create 
a shared world through the things that you make. Right. And that right. one's like yeah. so directly doing that. And then like this total like return to yourself in like bolos are just what you want to make. Yeah. Like, doing like <laughs> the exact same thing is so beautiful. Right. It's like, we think too hard about this stuff. Like Truly. we can just be ourselves and make what we want to make, you know? Yeah. And ultimately like if that is an authentic impulse and like a joyful creation it will be like appreciated by other people and like people will feel that and like want to engage with it and like want to have a piece of it Mm -hmm. to take with them and like it feels very joyful to me to be able to like give it all away Mm -hmm. and I think a through line kind of like what I was rambling towards with like the the zines as a practice and how it relates to like where my my like creative project like energy lies today is like with field notes it was specifically about raising funds for the black butterfly urban farmer training academy here in baltimore and um i partnered with uh, farm alliance which the farm that i work with is a member of and so we sold the zines at the farmers markets that baltimore farm alliance does and were and able they totally to, sold out they sold out we were able to fundraise for for a really great program that i really appreciate and like admire so much and i'm so grateful that we have people organizing that here in the city And so to kind of like continue on that sort of core value around like the practice of art making both being like a thing that is shared and also like a thing that is not just like a money making machine for me, but like a thing that can actually like be integral to community has been like now with and BBB like the the sales that are like outside of just going to cover basic material costs are always donated to mutual aid so it's not like as specific as fundraising for one organization mm-hmm. but I also feel like leaving it more open grants me the ability to be more responsive to like what is happening in community at any given time so it kind of like leaves more spaciousness for like really being engaged and like kind of trying to meet needs where they are. Mm -hmm. I love how on like so many different levels, the like, yeah, all the different levels that you've considered the like community building (laughs) fabric, right? There's like as intimate as like making gifts for like, the specific people that are your people (laughs) and then like zooming out and like making objects for like people that have yet to be discovered by you, (laughs) you know? Um, and then like zooming out to like the resonance of like the capital of it all, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like actually just like going back into your community is like a really nice model, you know, kind of like, or, um, maybe not even a model, um, but like, a like an island of like Mm. (laughs) this piece of what is going on around us is like thoughtful and (laughs) um yeah thoughtful I appreciate that and I also feel like I have to add that 
this practice of using resin specifically is definitely not a forever project just because in like the reality of the material and like what it is, like it just is not something that makes sense to do on like a larger scale or on a longer term scale. Um, I'm working with chemicals that like are toxic and Mm -hmm. like on the, on like the personal, just like health side of it, you know, I do take precautions. I wear gloves and I try to always wear a proper ventilated mask, but you know, I wouldn't want to, to be using this material on a regular basis for the rest of my life. And also like, I have to order this stuff. It gets shipped from, you know, far away places. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of like waste and things that are problematic that go into like these things being produced. And so I think if I am going to continue on a longer term basis with bolo making as a practice, like I will ultimately and inevitably turn to like new materials and kind of be creating like different and hopefully more sustainable slides. And that idea is really exciting to me mm-hmm. because it means that there will be so many more opportunities for like play and transformation and creation. And so working with resin, although this wasn't the intention at the beginning, like kind of gives me an end cap that like keeps me true to the initial vision of like constant Mm. play and discovery because like as soon as it starts to feel stale and like I have figured out the formula of like, okay, this plus this creates this result then like it won't be fun and joyful Mm -hmm. anymore in the same way. And then that will be kind of when I will know intuitively that it's time to move on and either find new ways to make these kinds of adornments or start making things that are altogether different and new. Mm -hmm. So I think um, we're running a little bit. um, Yeah, we're running out of time, but I think that that leads us to our final question um, very nicely, which is just what's the weirdest thing that you've ever put in a bolo? <laughs> so it has not happened yet, but the two... Okay, so I feel like I also should give the context that part of this whole like sentimental deal is I love getting commissions and putting other people's stuff into bolos for them. (laughs) Um, so if you're listening to this and you want a custom bolo with something weird that you have, or it doesn't have to be weird, it could be normal. You can hit me up and I'm so happy to do that. But I was asked to put a whole snake head into a bolo tie and it's like not um it's not been dead for very long so it's still got like the skin and the brains and stuff and it just like is living in a freezer right now Um, so yeah in the name of of pure discovery uh we want to find out what will happen when the snakehead is encased in resin because it is not like a true preservative so the things that are inside the resin that are natural and like of the earth will eventually change over time Mm -hmm. so that should be 
a cool and interesting thing to observe. And then I had also been asked to put locks of someone's hair into matching mm. matching slides, which is also something that I think is really fun and spooky and mm-hmm. not uh, recommended if you don't really trust the person that you're giving the the lock of hair to. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so be warned. Uh, you could do some crazy magic with that. So uh, be careful who gets your hair that's encased in resin or, or not encased in resin. Well, with that, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me tonight about your practice. Um, it, it's been lovely. Yes, a true delight. For images and links to the artwork we discuss on the show, follow us on Instagram at this is not my magnum opus. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. You can also leave us a rating or add a review. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Music for this podcast was written and performed by Frederick's resident shoegaze band, TV. That's T-E-E-V-E-E, period. This Is Not My Magnum Opus is proud to be part of the Could Be Better podcast network. Executive produced by Chris Perry and Colin McGuire of Could Be Better. This show is made possible by a Maryland State Arts Council creativity grant. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week. Do you like change? Do you love the familiar smells of your bedroom studio? Listen no further, friends, because the Could Be Better podcast is back and as disappointing as ever. Indeed, Chris, this season we are changing almost absolutely nothing. The show will drop on Thursdays and we hope to include guests. We'll also shamelessly plug any and all events of which we are part. So like and follow wherever you listen to podcasts or check out our website, www.couldbebettermeh.com or let's pretend this never happened. I know I will. Me too. And do not forget this could be better.